We're going to open our scriptures here to uh, Romans chapter 6, and I want to encourage you, uh, wherever you are, we're going to, I'm going to put some of the verses on the screen, but but the main passage in Romans, uh, I hope you'll have before you so that you can make reference to it many times during the sermon. We good? All right. Great. It's always good when things work. So, uh, amen. Romans chapter 6. Christians believe in the sacredness of the body as well as the soul. That may come as a shock to some people thinking about Christianity. We do talk a lot about our soul and God saving our souls and things like that, and that's, of course, very true. But God made us body and soul. He made humanity as a oneness of material and immaterial. And the Bible teaches that God cares very much about our body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8, verse 13, Paul writes, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Our body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Right, so Christians believe in the that, that humanity is a body and soul and that God cares about our body. And Christ, in his resurrection, was raised bodily. They recognized him. They touched him. They ate food with him. And just as Christ was raised bodily from the dead, so all who believe in Christ will be raised bodily by that same power. In the very next verse in this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now I want to talk to you this morning about the power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. I want you to consider that. What is that like? What is the nature of that power, that resurrection power? And what are the implications of that? Paul prayed in first in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He expressed his longing. He says, Oh, that I may know him, that is Christ, and that I may know the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? What does that mean for us to know the power of the resurrection? What is the nature of resurrection power? What what does the power of resurrection do? He goes on in verse 20 of that same passage in Philippians 3 to say this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, look at this, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. There is a power in the Lord Jesus, a resurrection power that transforms. Resurrection power, the power that enables Christ to subject all things to himself, is a transforming power. 
he will transform our lowly body to be like his glory, glorious body. What is a transformation? The dictionary defines transformation as, quote, a thorough or dramatic change, such as it gives the illustration of a metamorphosis. You all have heard of that, where a, a little caterpillar spins his cocoon, and he goes in there into that chrysalis or whatever it's called, and, 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 and then in, in a period of time, he emerges as a beautiful butterfly. And, and while we would say it's the same creature, yet there is a transformation. That's what we're talking about here. The power of resurrection is the power of transformation. Resurrection power is the greatest transforming power in the universe. It is a change from death to life. It's a change from immortality or from mortality to immortality, from lowliness to glory. It is a metamorphosis. It's a transforming power. And such was the change that was experienced by our Lord and Savior nearly 2,000 years ago today. But this is not just history for us who are Christians. This is history that reverberates with power up into our present day for us, that is for some of us. And I want to begin by identifying the critical link between Christ's resurrection power and any effects in us. Right? What is that critical link? And I can think of few places that make that link more explicit or, or say it in a better way than Romans chapter 6. And so I, I ask you to turn there. You take your Bible. Look at Romans chapter 6. Um, the background here is that Paul has just mentioned the law, the law of God. The law provides the expectations that God has for his demands upon us, how we ought to live, the obedience that we owe to him. So he's mentioned the law, and then he says that the law, actually, when it came, one of the main things it did was just to demonstrate that we are sinners. Because when you confront a sinner with law, his sin comes out. It manifests itself. And that's exactly what the law does. It, it brings sin to our awareness, and, and it makes a clear line in the sand. This is not my will. Don't do this. And so we see very clearly when we're confronted with the law, we see more clearly that we are sinful. In fact, he goes on later to say that the law not only shows us that we're sinful, it actually provokes our sin. He says when the law comes in, there's something in us that it, because we are sinful that just is provoked by having a law. You, you take a child, you put him in the room, and mom and dad, maybe they're, they have a, a box of medicines up on the counter, and they say, now, I've got to go out for a little while. I want you to play and do your things, but whatever you do, I don't want you to mess with that box, okay? And anybody who's been a parent for any length of time knows that that's, you, do, you don't do that. Why? Because immediately... When you confront a human being, a sinful human being with a law, there is an, an anti-law 
uh, part of us. There's a there's something in our nature that is, frankly, be honest, we are rebels. We in our nature we are rebels. And when we're confronted with law, we want to have our autonomy and we want to figure things out for ourselves. Thank you very much. So the law comes in and it brings that kind of effect. He says law makes sin increase. That's the way he says it. But then he says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, that's a glorious statement and he's going to come back to it. But that provokes a question. Well, if Wherever sin increased, that just makes grace abound all the more. Then, now we're at chapter 6, verse 1, okay? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And, of course, the answer is, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He asked, do you not know that all of us who have been, now notice the language, all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He says we were co-buried with Jesus. We were buried with him. And he makes it very clear in verse 5, for if we have been united with him, that is with Christ, if we've been united to Jesus in his death, then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Jesus Christ exerted and experienced the power of resurrection transformation nearly 2,000 years ago. And that same transforming power surges through every man, woman, and child who is united to him. It is that union with Christ that is the link between him experiencing resurrection power and us experiencing the transforming power of resurrection. The Bible describes that union with Christ in, in many ways and gives illustrations. Uh, I just want to say six things about that union that will help us to have a biblical understanding of it. First of all, it is a judicial union. Most of you have been a part of a company at some point, or you're a part of a country. And as a part of a, of a company and, and, and a country, there you have legal representatives who, who uh, act on your behalf. Uh, the president of your company might make a deal with another company, and it's going to affect you because you're a part of that. You're united in that company or in that country. And so it is with Christ that what Christ does, has ramifications for all who belong to him, all who are united with him, because he stands as their judicial head. Secondly, it is even deeper than just merely a judicial union. It's a personal union that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the Bible uses the illustration of a husband and a wife who come together, two who now become 
one, one flesh, one heart, one mind, one, one uh, direction, one unit. There is that kind of personal union that believers have, Christ's people have with himself. Thirdly, it is in fact an organic union where two become one single living thing while yet not losing their distinctiveness. And the illustrations in the scripture are of a, of a branch on a tree. That's, you could say the branch is distinct and you could actually cut the branch off or you could even take a branch and sort of graft it into a tree. But when it is so, it becomes one with the tree. The very life of the tree is the life of the branch and it produces fruit. Or to use another illustration, the head and the body. We, we sort of distinguish them, but they're, they're joined together organically. So it is with us and Christ. It is an organic union. Fourthly, it is a spiritual union. It is created by this reality that we share the same spirit. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, is the unifying agent that binds us to himself and his abiding presence is the seal of the certainty of that union that we have with Christ. Fifthly, it is a faith union. Faith is the attitude or the orientation of our heart that the Holy Spirit produces as a testimony of the reality of our union with Christ. This is belief, it's trust, and that is the inward mark of true union with Christ. How do you, you are united with Christ? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you trust him? And I tell you today, he is absolutely trustworthy. The Bible teaches us that our hearts are wicked and deceitful. You know, if there, if there is anyone out there and you are, you are trusting in your heart and you've just lived sort of independently from Christ, and you've just said, I can, I can make my own way in life. I'm a pretty good person. Friend, you're blind. Turn from your sin. Turn from your independence and glorify the Son of God. Put your faith and trust in him. and You would be united with Christ. It is a faith union. And sixthly and finally, it is a sacramental union. That is, that it's signified by baptism as the outward mark of identity with him. So we are baptized into Christ, that is down into his death, and then up again out into resurrection life. It is a sacramental union. And people who are united with Christ like that, into his death and into his resurrection, they and they alone experience the transforming power of God in union with Christ. All right, now, that brings us to this. Romans 6 to 8 unpack three transformational effects of resurrection power in those who are united to Jesus Christ. Three transformational effects in the lives of those who are united to Christ. And they can all be summarized, I think, in one, in one, one thing. And, and this is found throughout chapters 6 through 8, and that is this, that resurrection power sets you free. That's the way it transforms you. Resurrection power sets you free. I counted up this week 
36 times by my count, and I may have missed a few, in chapter 6 to 8, words like this, slave, slavery, obedient, bound, belong, reign, dominion, held captive, sold, subjected, in bondage, or on the other hand, set free, released, delivered. This passage is about deliverance. That's the transformation of resurrection power. It is a delivering power. It sets you free. It sets you free to serve a new master in whose service alone is true freedom. Because now you're not only bound to a master who governs you, but to a husband who loves you. Now you are bound not only as a subjugated slave, but as an obedient son. This is the transformation that uh, is expounded uh, in the lives of those who are united to Christ. Now, there are three specific ways to talk about this or three effects of that freeing power in those who are united to Christ. And the first is this. I'm going to actually start with the last. So in chapter 8, if you want to flip over a couple of chapters, we'll start with the end and work our way backwards, okay? 876. Finally, then, we see that this transformation is a physical transformation. It is a physical transformation. In chapter 8 and verse 11, we see it. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Okay, there's that communion, there's that spiritual union with Christ. If his spirit dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here is physical, mortal bodies, physical, mortal body being raised from the dead one day. That's one of the ramifications of resurrection power, setting us free from death and raising our bodies again. We, we looked at this last Lord's Day. The Bible teaches us that in the resurrection, we will not be ghosts or you know, spirits hovering around in the clouds, but we will be fully human, raised up body and soul, able to, to touch and feel and see and taste and smell This is not just life like it was before and you get it back. This is life that's transformed into something on an even greater plane than what we've called living in this world. The the, the life that we experience in this world is as only a dream compared to the life that we will know in the resurrection. We will be set free in that day, not from bodies, but from the corruption and the decay and the mortality that right now binds our bodies into the grave. The Bible teaches us in verse 21, this same passage in chapter 8, verse 21, that the creation itself in that day, the creation itself will be, here's the word, set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory 
of the children of God. There's a great transformation coming. As he said in Philippians, he will transform our lowly body to be like his resurrection body, his glorious body. Last week, remember, perhaps, from Matthew chapter 22, that we looked at that account in the scriptures when the Sadducees came to Jesus and they trying to trip him up and make his uh, theology look foolish. And, and they didn't believe in, in the resurrection. And they made up this story or told him this story about a woman who'd been married to a man. And, uh, and he, she, he had died, leaving her no children. And the Jewish law said that his brother should take her and be her husband and raise up children and take care of her. And, and, but he died, leaving her with no children. And then it happened again and again and again, seven times. You remember the story. And at the end, they said, okay, so how in the world can resurrection be true then? She would be the wife of seven different men. And Jesus said, remember what he said, you do err or you, you are wrong because you do not understand the scriptures and the power of God. In other words, resurrection is not just you continue on, you get back what you lost before. It's a transformation into something more glorious. This is resurrection power. It's transforming power, transforming power that sets bodies free from death and free from corruption and raises us up to life immortal, able to experience all of the fullness of human joy that God intends for us to have in his presence. This is the first ramification. Our bodily transformation is a freedom from death. This lies ahead for us in our future for those who are united to Christ. But secondly, this future effect of resurrection power is rooted in past a past effect. And that is a legal transformation. A legal transformation. Earlier I said, uh, we, Paul had said in, in this text, you are not under law, but under grace, right? And of course, that's a big question. What does that mean? I've had people quote that to me to defend their sin. And Paul takes it that way, and he says, well, what does that mean then? That we should go on in sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And his answer is, oh, by no means. God forbid. May it never be. And he goes on to correct that kind of thinking, but he does come back to what he means to say by that in chapter 7. So look at chapter 7, and particularly, let's, well, let's start in verse 1. He says, all right, let me come back to this. You are not under law, right? There's a legal transformation here because of our union with the resurrected Christ. He says, do you not know, brothers, and he says, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law, do you not know that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? And you would say, well, yeah, I mean, you don't give a dead guy a parking ticket, right? I mean, as long, when you're dead, you know, your, your relationship to the law is, is severed. And then he gives a specific illustration, and the illustration that he chooses comes from marriage law. He says, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But now if her husband dies, she is what? She's released from the law, in this case, the law of marriage. 
Now, accordingly, if she, uh, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband, is, if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress anymore. Right? Death ends a person's legal obligation to their spouse. They're no longer bound in holy matrimony. So here's the application now. Look at verse 4. He's gonna, this, is, this is what the, the whole illustration was for. He says, likewise, my brothers, in the same way or a similar way, you also, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. So united to Christ in his death, you died to what? To a legal relationship with God. You've died to that. That relationship with God that is founded on the obligation of your perfect personal obedience. You have died to that, he says, look at the middle of verse 4, so that you may belong to another, that is, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may, may bear fruit for God. You see, your old union with the law produced only sin and self-righteousness. But in Christ, you have died with him and been raised to him with him and now you you have a transformed relationship with God resurrection power has made it so that your obligations to God legally have been broken and now you have a new because you're resurrected now you can enter into a new marriage relationship so to speak to be married to Christ as it were and be related to God in a new way, not in a legal way, but in a familial way. So that when we are married to Christ, it is as if the groom says to his bride, all that I have is yours. All my righteousness, all my obedience, all my holiness belongs to those who are united to me in oneness of spirit those who put their trust and faith in Christ. And that is the gospel, is that everything that Christ has, everything that he deserves, we get as a free gift of grace by being simply by, by virtue of our union with him. And moreover, that union is a fruitful one. As Christ implants himself within you, you too begin to live out obedience to God from the Spirit. But that transformation is this, that we no longer relate to God under legal terms, but as a family. Why? Because we are now wedded to his son, right? I mean, most of us don't um, write out long written contracts for our, our, our children and our, our sons and daughters-in-law. We don't make them sign a lease if they want to come stay with us for a couple of weeks at, at Christmas time. It doesn't mean that we don't have expectations of each other. 
that there aren't, in a sense, obligations or duties. But the, the, the whole relationship is different, right, than you would have with a stranger whom you rented out your house to as an Airbnb or something. Right? You'd make them go through all, there's legal obligation. That's the, the basis of the relationship. But in this new relationship, you're related in terms of family. That's the transformation that comes about. And the only way it can come about is if we are united to Christ in death to the old self, related to God in a legal way, and now united to Christ who in every way pleased the Father. And so now he treats us as sons and daughters of his own. We become children of God in union with the Son of God, not earning our place before God through contractual obedience, but serving him with love and joy. And it was death and resurrection that allowed you to be free from that law and married to Christ. So resurrection power has brought about a legal transformation through union with God's Son that is a freedom or a deliverance from condemnation. Condemnation for violating God's holy law. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's the past effect. But that past effect is actually being worked out in Christians' lives right now, right? So let's review. The, the future effect of being united with him who has resurrection power is that your body is transformed, raised to immortality. The past effect of being united with him in his resurrection is that you are no longer legally oriented toward God, but oriented in a family way by union with his son. The present aspect of resurrection power is a an experiential transformation. It's something that we don't just take as an article of faith or that we hope for in the future, but something that we experience right now in the present in our actual um, everyday existence. Those who are in union with Christ are being freed not only from the condemnation of sin, but from the actual power of sin right now, in our present experience. Experiencing that transforming effect of resurrection power is what chapter 6 is all about. And Paul says that experiencing that transforming power in the present involves three things. Number one, quickly. Number one, it involves knowing some things. You have to know some things, right? Look at verse 6, the way it begins. We but we know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin, our bodies that are dominated by our sinful passions, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, verse 8, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And again, he comes back to what we know, verse 9. We know that Christ, for example, being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Why? For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. 
But the life he lives, he lives to God, oriented toward God. Now, what he's saying then is this. In order to experience this resurrection power in the present, this transforming power of God in our lives right now, freeing us from the power of sin, we have to know some things. And we know that Christ is no longer under death's dominion. He's resurrected, he's raised, he'll never die again, right? We know that. And because we are united with him, we know that we are no longer enslaved to sin. What he's getting at is this, friends. The transforming power of God is greater than the power of sin. We know that. Now, there's a second thing we have to do. We're going to experience this transforming power in the present. We not only know some things, but we act on them. We do them. And here's where the commands begin to come down uh, in verse 12. So go down to verse 12 and look for the commands. This is the first time in this section where he begins to tell us now what to do. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't let sin reign. Stop it. Do not present yourselves, your members, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God, to another two commands, as those who have been brought from death to life, as people who've experienced resurrection power, and your members present them to God as instruments for righteousness. Here's the way he's arguing. If the transforming power of God is greater than the power of sin, if you know that to be true, then stop sinning. Stop it. Don't let sin reign in your bodies anymore. Don't keep presenting yourselves to sin as its slaves. Don't keep giving yourself over to be a slave of your own passions. Listen to me. You if you're a Christian, you are no longer a slave of your nature. Your old nature is dead. You're not a slave of your passions anymore. And you should live like it. Your old self has died with Christ. Dead people don't have any more authority over living people. You are resurrected with Christ, a new man, so live like it. And then here's the third thing, okay? People who experience resurrection power, transforming power over sin in their life, over the power of sin, they know some things, they act on those things, but here's the critical link between them. And it comes right between the knowing of verses 1 to 10 and the doing of verses 12 and 13, and that's verse what? Verse 11. He says, so you also must, here's the key word, Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. Consider it to be true. In other words, believe it. Bank on it. Rest in it. Count it as true. Reckon with it. Live like it's true. Because you believe it. And I think that's... That really is the thrust of the application this morning, is, is this. 
resurrection power is a transforming power. It'll transform your body one day. It's already transformed the nature of your relationship with God. You stand before him as a son accepted in his sight. But right now, God's intent is that that resurrection power be known to you by its transforming of you out of sinfulness into holiness, that that resurrection power be experienced in the present. And this is where I want to close by tying it in to last week's sermon, again, from Matthew chapter 22. Remember where the Sadducees had come to Jesus questioning him about the resurrection, attempting to discredit his theology? Their objection to resurrection, to the doctrine of resurrection, was grounded in an assumption, right? I've mentioned this last week. And the assumption was that resurrection life is just kind of the same as the present life. That's why Jesus said, no, you don't understand the power of God. There's a transformation that happens. You know, there's no more death and decay and growth and all. So there's no need for, the, for um, marriage and the propagation of the race and all of that. Here was his answer. You are wrong because you know neither the scripture nor the power of God. Here was the, their problem. Jesus said, you don't take into account the transforming effects of God's resurrection power. You don't believe in them. And I want to tell us, listen, our, our failure to gain victory over sin is a failure to reckon with and to bank on and to trust in and believe in the transforming power of God over the power of sin in our life right now. We, too, perhaps say to ourselves, like the Pharisees did, everything will just continue on as it's always been. It's just the way I am. It's just the way I'm going to be. I don't think there's any power out there that can change me. I've tried to change. Somebody says, Pastor, I've tried to change so many times. I just don't, I don't know if it's possible. I'm just always going to be an angry person. There's never going to be victory in my life over my stupid envy and jealousy. I'm just always going to be a worrier. I feel like I'm never going to be a faithful witness for the Lord Jesus. The lust is always going to get the better of me. That prayerlessness is always going to characterize me. As much as I, I want to change and I try to change and I just find that I, I can't. It's just, this is just who I am. And I, and I, I do believe that while we, we might not say that to ourselves, I think that's the kind of thinking we fall into. You know, I've, 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 I've tried so long and I'm still the same. I just, I don't know. And I'm telling you, here's the problem. We are underestimating resurrection power. The same power. Let me ask you this. Do you actually believe that one day God is powerful enough to raise your body out of the grave and make it alive again? All right. That same power, same power, not a different power. That same power is working in your life right now to free you from the power of sin in the present. And what do you do? You know that 
You need to act on it. Right now, you just need to hold on to it, lay hold on to it with belief, and then go out and act as if you believe it. Act as if you believe it. Don't underestimate the transforming resurrection of power of God. Keep fighting that sin. Keep growing. Keep changing all your life by faith in the transforming power of God because you know and you believe God's word. Sin will not have dominion over you because there's resurrection power in Christ. And if you are united with Christ, that same resurrection power is flowing in you. You are not a slave to your nature. So tell your nature, your old nature, I'm sorry, you're dead to me. I am alive in Christ. And there is a power. There is a power that will transform me in my life over the course of my life. And I believe it. And so I'm just going to keep acting as if I believe it every day. I'm just going to keep living as if it's true. And it will be more and more for those who believe that power that sets us free through death and union with the resurrected Christ. Oh, that we may know him and the power of his resurrection. May it be so. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so in adequate and unable in ourselves to do anything that pleases you in the flesh there is no good thing but we bless you and praise you that we are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of god dwells in us and we pray that it is true that we are united with christ in the spirit and i pray right now for anyone watching or listening who is not united with christ who is under your condemnation who still stands before you in a in a legal uh, framework. Oh God, I pray that you'd have pity on them and open their eyes and help them to see the glory of Christ who obeyed in their place. They would put their faith and trust in him. And I pray for all of those who are your children right now, that you would strengthen their faith in resurrection power, in your transforming power to set them free from the effects of sin in their life right now. Lord, let us lay hold of that. Let us know more and more Christ and his resurrection power. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.